Welcome to the show, Paul George, Adam Conk, in a studio talking art of living. Adam, how's it going? Great, Paul. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, man. You're in quite the mood. Yes, well, I'm a new dad. I mean, I've been a dad for a while, but we have a new baby. And when you get a good night's sleep, it's like, I don't know, it's it's revolutionary. When you go through four or five days straight of issues, and it's not with the new baby, actually. It's more with the other kids. And anyway, and then you get that good night of sleep. Oh, my word. Yeah. Uh, you know, I always say this is that um, when you don't sleep, good things are really bad. Like even good things are bad. Like sleep has so much to do with like our health, our view. And like I, I honestly say when I'm like sleep deprived, someone can like hand me a million dollars and be like, I don't care. Like I don't want it. Whatever. Whatever. Like I just need <laughs> sleep, you know. And uh, yeah, we had a night the other night because we're in this sort of weird season of life, man. Like, you know, our oldest is in college and then we have – you know, a baby a that's yeah. uh, a year apart from your youngest. You know, I think they're almost like a year, a year yeah. apart. December, right? Yep. A December baby should be a movie. Anyway, <laughs> um, so we had a night where like the baby was waking up, and then our college kid was waking up in the middle of the night, sick, calling us. Wow. You know, cause she's off at school, and so it's like. I don't know if you ever sleep, honestly, as a parent. You have older kids, you have younger kids. It's just like you kind of chalk up that that night as like, we're just not sleeping. Well, people talk about later in life when all your kids are grown up, but the reality is either they're going to call you from college or you're going to have so many health problems that you just can't sleep. Well, <laughs> and actually I was reading a study recently in, in this article that said that um, older parents worry about their adult kids just as much as they did when their kids were at home. Huh. So so the worry of, you know, your adult children, you know, whatever they're doing, they're off on their own. It, parents still worry about their kids. Now, for me as an adult who who my parents are still living, I don't I don't think about that much. Like I don't mm-hmm. think my parents are thinking about me or worried about me, but I think I should. Like I think I should take that into context and reach out to them more and pull them in more and uh because it's interesting you think that your parents, when they get older, they just stop worrying about you because you can take care of yourself. But I think it's kind of built into the DNA of us as parents to always be concerned for our children. Yeah, which is a good thing. It is a good thing. Um, but, it, you know, you could get overly stressed or overly oh, worried yeah. or, you know, overly anxious and not sleep. Yeah. And when you don't sleep, dude, everything goes awry. No, you need you need to sleep, I think. Yeah. And sleep well. Sleep well. Because there is such a thing as bad sleep. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, like, you do sleep less when you have infants. Like, that is a oh, yeah. a constant, you know. You know, when your kids get a little bit older, they might have a night where they're sick. But then, you know, they get over that and they go back and they, they sleep. But infants, infants Infant are tough. need a lot of help. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of, uh, you've been in this interesting mood. You sit, <laughs> you sit this funny meme, and I didn't really get it. And uh, it was, you know, you texted it, and there's this guy sitting in this chair. Now it's it's an animated meme, so it's you know, and an then animeme, animeme, and <laughs> it kind of it, like you, it takes someone to look at it because you're like, what is this? And this guy in this chair, and then how how would you explain it? There's there's an elephant in the room, but but messing with his stuff, like messing he's to drink with his, his coffee, stuff. and it's like yeah, making it. Hard but you don't him. notice the elephant until you like you really look at like okay, what's going on in the meme, and then you really laugh because it's like oh, there's an elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. And the guy's ignoring the elephant in the room, <laughs> but the elephant's messing with him. 
And of course, here I am, I laugh at it. And then my next step is to psychoanalyze this thing. <laughs> of course. I, I, that's just where I go with it. And so I start psychoanalyzing this meme, and then I really start thinking about it. And it's true. Like, I think in all of our lives, if we could certainly admit to this, um, and if you can't, then that's the problem is that you're There's not a big old elephant in your room. <laughs> you're not admitting to the <laughs> elephant in the room is that we've all dealt with elephants in the room. And, and there's two ways we deal with elephants in the room. It, if I can be honest, uh, the one elephant in the room is it's situational. It's with relational. It's with other people, family members, our spouse, our kids. There's this, there's this thing, there's this tension, uh, there's this wound, there's this past, there's this present that we just don't talk about or don't deal with because it's just we don't know how or we don't know where or when or what to do about it. Okay? Yeah. So that's one element. And, and then the agreed? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, and we, I think we all deal with that. We, and there's, there's times where, where it seems more tense. And then the other elephant in the room, and I think oftentimes we don't think about this, and this is where the memes kind of got me going, is that there's elephant in our own personal life that has nothing to do with anybody else. So it's us in our life individually sitting in a chair and there's this elephant constantly poking at us and we kind of just <laughs> shoo it away and get on to our day. And I think, you know, we could all agree or maybe admit, I, I want to admit that what are some of the elephants even in my own life in our room that, that I keep pushing away that maybe I need to look at? Yeah, I'll never forget... Um of happy memory of Father Jerome Fry, who founded a religious community here in Lafayette. I remember him in spiritual direction one time. He's he's uh, passed away just a few years ago, but just about a decade ago, I was with him in spiritual direction. And he said, "Look, think about how you know you're driving down the road and you see this beautiful house, beautiful, but in the yard there's this uh, old junky car just sitting there, and there's like tall grass all around it on blocks." And there's like beehives in it and stuff like it's it's just terrible. Where's your attention going to go to the beautiful home or to the to the eyesore? Right. And he was making the point that in all of our lives, there's something in us that stinks to God. Hmm. And he put it that way. Like there's something about our character. There's something about our lives that the Lord really wants to deal with. Now, it has nothing to say that there's something wrong with us. Like the house is great. Right. Right. But there is something about our life that the Lord really wants to deal with. Yeah. Like right now. Yeah. And so uh, even if things are going well, you know, if we're going to mass, if we're praying, there's still something that we should be working on. Yeah. And that doesn't mean, like you said, there's something wrong with us. I think we can all kind of jump in the pool with this and say, we all have things we need to work on. And if I can admit, like to really become the person that God wants me to be, like I have to look at those things. I can't keep ignoring those things. As we move into a new year of life. It's like, what are some of those things that have been nagging at me that have been keeping me from being fully who God's calling me to be that I need to look at? What are some character traits, some some virtues that I lack, some behaviors that I continue to do? Uh, what, what are some issues that have carried over some past wounds or brokenness or family? Like, like honestly, like those things that keep nagging at me that I can look at and Here's the beauty. There's a lot of beauty about Christ, but here's one of the things that Jesus did that we don't really talk about is that Jesus came and he just pointed out elephants. Yeah. Like he didn't avoid the tension or the elephants in the room, both corporately as a church, you know, whether he was entering into the synagogue and and the temple, um, 
whether he was dealing with a group of Pharisees or Sadducees or even his own disciples or crowds, or whether he was dealing with an individual one-on-one, you know, uh, you know, the woman at the well, the woman in, in adultery, uh, Peter, you know, uh, Nathaniel, like he, he came and, and passed very pastorally and lovingly, but very, uh, pointedly like, like, uh, like your friar friend mm-hmm. said, you know, there, you, there's junk in your trunk <laughs> that you got to deal with. Right. Yeah. And in, in my personal experience, the most effective means of dealing with that eyesore in my life or that crack in my character is that someone else has to help me with it. Yeah. Because the reason why it's built up over time and I haven't dealt with it is because I don't really either want to deep down or I don't know how. Yeah. Either way, somebody getting in there with me and going clean it up, you know, somebody who um, can help help me get through this. Yep. Not because it's a last resort, because my life has fallen apart and I just need somebody to help, but because, look, I just want to improve my life in this way. You seem to have, uh, you know, a handle on this particular issue. Help me. Yeah. What do I need to do? How do I need to change? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, here's a, oftentimes we don't do things because we're afraid or we don't know how or we feel alone. You know, Mm -hmm. those things that you were saying, here's the reality is we're never alone with with Christ. Mm-hmm. So so Jesus comes to walk with us, not to point the finger. Uh, he comes to draw the best out of us. So every conversation, every tension, every elephant he was pointing out, he didn't leave someone to suffer in their own uh, brokenness. He brought healing. He brought direction and purpose. Uh, he, he walked with them. He brought them forward in their life. And, and that's the invitation. That I think once I came to this point in my life where it was like, Pointing out the character flaws wasn't about self-deprivation or hating myself, but the the opportunity for for growth and healing and to understand that Jesus never calls us out to walk alone, that he actually walks with us. So then it becomes a very freeing thing. So instead of avoiding the elephant, it's like, ah, oh, there's an elephant. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna deal with it and and it's gonna be great. Like the back end of this is going to be a lot of freedom in my life, and I'm going to be better for it instead of continuing to push it down. And I think the whole thing is why they call them elephants is because they're not like these little trinkets in the room. No, they're huge. Like, and it, the issue not might be huge, but it's huge to us because it's mm-hmm. constant. And so elephants just constantly take up the space in our yard, the analogy that you were using, to where we can't see the beauty of the house. Mm-hmm. So there's beautiful things happening in our life. This freaking elephant just keeps <laughs> looming, right, and blocking the view of things that are beautiful mm-hmm. in our life. And the invitation that Christ comes to to really journey with us in those things. And I, I love the fact that he just doesn't avoid confrontation. Like, that's right. not the nature of God is to avoid the reality that's there. But, you see, I think what is required, what what Christ has and had on earth and what's required of us to be a person confident enough to address the things no one else wants to address is a very firm sense of mission and purpose. So, for example, when he called out the elephant in the room with the the Pharisees, right? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, right? Well, the thing is, there was a context there of him having a confidence of why he's come at all, like why he's come to earth at all, to die on the cross and save us from our sins. 
and to to establish a church that would continue his mission till he comes back again. That context gave him the words to say, the things to do, and to see where these Pharisees fit into that context. In other words, these are the ones that are going to lead to my death. Right. Right? Like, he, he knows that when he's talking to them. He has a purpose. So when he is calling them out, it's not just this kind of shallow uh, thing. It's, it's him fulfilling his purpose, which is to come proclaim the kingdom of God, to die for our sins, right, and to call all people to repentance. And I think we need a huge confidence in what God is asking us to do in our life and to know that because that's the deepest part of us. The deepest part of who we are is the purpose God has given us to live. Right. Like that is the epicenter of everything we should say and do. And if we're out of touch with that, then we're going to much prefer not dealing with anything uncomfortable. Yeah. But if we know that if for me to fulfill my purpose, I have to deal with this, you know, whether it's my family, for me to be a good father, or a good husband, I have to deal with this. It's actually not a burden. The burden would be me saying no, like I'm right. not going to deal with it. Right. Um, but if I don't have that purpose, it's much easier to just kick that can down the road. Absolutely. You know, Jesus came to to help us establish our identity, and we'll talk about that. And and uh, that we could be comfortable in who we truly are, right? And uncomfortable and who we aren't. Mm-hmm. And much of our life is dealing with the uncomfortableness of who we're not, right? Yeah. Um, who we're not being, uh, what we're not doing, uh, what what issues that we have. And, and the nature of God is, is to bring those things out so that we become fully who we are, who God made us to be. And that's the journey. Uh, it's not easy. It is difficult. But Jesus is with us. And the more we lean into him, the more we pray, and the more we we come into relationship with Christ, it becomes a, a very um, freeing journey with Jesus. Uh, it 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 it's you know I think people oftentimes like I got I got to give up so much to follow Christ, and it's like, but the gain is so much greater. Like you know, so it's like you could choose to live in your old ways and your old sin, and and a sense of comfort. But you never experience the fullness of who who you're you're meant to be, because you, we just stop, you know. And so that, that's the call. And so we're going to talk more about this um, throughout the show. How can we really grow uh, as leaders, as people, as individuals in areas of our life? It's a good discussion. It's Adam and Paul talking our living. We'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show, Paul George, Adam Conk. Right here, right now, in studio, uh, great discussion. Here's how not to deal with an elephant in the room. Okay. So, you know, you're young, you're kind of learning the virtues. You're kind of learning how to have filter and sometimes, like young people, not having really a filter, kind of like they kind of call things for what they are. It's almost kind of freeing. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when I when I was in high school, I was tenth grader, and um, I wasn't doing too well in my English class. And my teacher didn't really like me that well, um, and I know that's surprising to you. Um, <laughs> and so uh, he moved me to the front of the class. Mm. And the thing about this specific class and this specific teacher, God bless his heart, like I, I really think I'm going to spend some time in purgatory for this. Um, but here's not how to deal with an elephant. I'm going to tie all this together is that he was a spitter when he talked. Whoa. And But everyone knew. Like it was bad. Like it would it – would, the saliva would climb on his lip and it would fly, but everyone in the class knew. And it really was like this like thing that everyone knew but him. Oh. And it's like, how could you not know? That you're spitting all over people. That you're spitting on people and everyone in the class knows but you. So he almost had this like odd unself-awareness about him. So I thought, well, I'm going to tell him. Of course. Okay, so instead of just telling him, Saying, hey, you know, Mr. Parker, or whatever his name was, uh, you know, you spit. And we're kind of uncomfortable with this. Uh, can we talk about this uh, um, tension in the room? So what I decided to do is to kind of, which was kind of my personality in some ways coming out without thinking about it, is a lot of times I would make fun of something that was tense. Mm-hmm. I'd bring humor to it. And uh, and so I brought an umbrella, and in the middle of the class, in the middle of his lectures, you did. As he's, yes, it did. As he's spitting on the front row, which I'm sitting on, I just reached down under my desk and I popped open the umbrella. You didn't. As I sat there, well, that didn't go over too well. No, I mean, did he ask what are you doing, and you explained? I I think he got the point. Oof. And then got really angry, of course which I didn't care, um, which was made him more angry that I didn't care. And then he sent me to the office. And then I told the principal what I did because he asked, and the principal had to walk out of the room because he started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and then just never – he never dealt with me. He just was like, don't do that ever. And then I just went back to class. I made an F in that class that nine weeks. I don't know. I'm not super proud of that. I'm sure it's just a coincidence. But um, that is not how not to deal with an elephant in a room. Because I think a lot of times with, you know, um, you know, situations with our family or at work or even our own life, like we can, um, you know, we can, uh, we can deal with it, but not deal with it. Like we can make fun of it. We can draw humor to it, which isn't necessarily always a bad thing, you know, to kind of, you know, play along with the elephant, you know, kind of poke at it and say, yeah, this is part of my life and I'm working on it. But I think sometimes we, we can call out things and never deal with it. Like it's just never dealt with. The conversation never happens, right? Yeah. And so what, what I want to get into is, is a conversation to help us move along, move us better. And um, how, how do we become better people so that we can become better leaders for other people? Right. Mm. And we were talking about this off air and we've had this conversation um, of the lack of leadership within people, not only within the church, but in people's homes. And even for us, learning how to be better leaders so that we can lead our families better. We can lead our, our spouses better. We can lead our kids better. We can lead at work better. And I think oftentimes when we hear the word leader, someone automatically thinks, well, I'm not in charge of anything. Right. 
And so they're going to exit out of this conversation. Here's what I want to say is pull you back into the conversation is that everyone's called to be a leader at some point Mm -hmm. and leaders lead and leaders follow. So that that's just, and there's bad leaders and good leaders. Um, but everyone's in leadership at some point. And so you could be husband and wife and, and at times like you're leading your family and sometimes you're following sometimes you're leading your kids and, and sometimes you're learning, uh, Sometimes you're leading at work, even if you're not the boss. There's people that you're helping along, and and uh, in friendships. Sometimes you're leading a friend, and sometimes you're learning and and following someone else. So the reality is that we're all called to to lead it. And I think the the word leadership and and lead is important for us because if we bring it back into the context of the conversation with Jesus, the disciples to be a disciple means to be a follower, but they never thought that they would be leaders. And what Jesus was pouring into them is that they were learning how to follow Jesus so that they could lead other people to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. So the whole point of Jesus leading them was not to simply lead them for the sake of leading, was to simply lead them for the sake of them leading. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and you're right. I think in our society, when we think leader, we think the person with power or the person with the you know the buck stops here kind of thing but i think leadership is natural to humanity you know i don't think it's something we invented to make our society work better or even our church where christ says you know what i'm gonna have a hierarchy hierarchy structure um because that's the best thing to do i think it corresponds to our nature that people lead us and we follow but we also lead others toward something better and something greater as a human family. And our Lord definitely leads us. He goes before us in heaven, right? He ascends into heaven, and he will come back again to, to bring us with him. But we reign with him, like you said. like we, we lead with him. And even children can lead their parents in a lot of ways, even if it isn't following. Like, for example, if you're a parent, this is going to register with you. What if you said something to your kids, and then one kid says, yeah, let's do it. Come on, everybody. Or if that same kid says, ugh. Right. <laughs> like that kid is a leader, right? For better or worse, the way they respond to being led leads other people. And so there's no way of, of getting around it. Our actions have an influence on people. We're either guiding them to, to something better or away from that good thing, but there's no neutrality. Like none of us are just followers. Right. We're all leading someone somewhere. Yeah, and I think... You're right. Like when we think of leadership, we think of someone with power and authority. And what I want to talk about today is that leadership really has nothing to do with power and authority. Mm. I think we've seen bad leaders. We can point out bad leadership, people who use power and authority for for things that aren't helping other people. And we kind of naturally kind of see a good leader, but we're like, is that person a leader? Mm. They're just, you know there's something about that person. Like I would follow that person, you know, Mm -hmm. there's characters about that person. I think great leadership is more about the character of an individual than it does have to do with the authority or the authority that that person has. That person certainly has the authority to write the check or make the big decision, but that doesn't mean they're a good person or a good leader, right? Mm -hmm. Or making good decisions. A great leader is someone who pours into other people so that they can become better people. Mm-hmm. And they really could care less about any authority that they have. I, I find this out in my own parenting when I fail, is that my authority 
when stuck into the ground sometimes could go awry. Like, mm-hmm. like sometimes it could be re- rebelled against. So authority doesn't always give you the ability to lead well. Actually, sometimes it, it could be the thing that people rebel against even more so. So you have to learn to be a leader without the iron fist, without the authority, without the threats of I sign the check and uh, I make the decisions and, you know, I the buck stops here. Um, and certainly, you know, I get that. It might come to the point. But this is certainly not what the conversation's about because those leaders eventually uh, don't leave a legacy. Yeah. You know. Well, and in context of what we were talking about earlier, I think a strong leader wants to address the elephant in the room for everyone involved, not for themselves only. But listen, we're all going to be better off if we could deal with such and such issue. Yeah. So how would, let's say we're at work, right? And there's, there's some tension with coworkers and some of us are aware of it. Some of us aren't, some of us have different, whatever, but we're not talking about it openly. Like what do you do in that situation as a leader to bring about some positive result without making things worse or acting like you're better than everyone or something like that. Yeah. I mean, in specific to those, those situations, I mean, the last thing that you want to do is, um, talk about, uh, the issues, um, behind people's back. Mm. Um, and this is what people do a lot, uh, because we're afraid to address the issue, the right person. Um, Jesus teaches us this leadership skill in Scripture. He says, go to the person, talk to the person. And then if the person doesn't listen, then, you know, kind of, you know, dust your feet off. This is the thing that we're most afraid of, but this is the thing that addresses the issue the best and brings the most freedom, even if it's difficult. So if someone has hurt you, if someone's doing something, you notice something, the best thing to do is to ask Jesus to give you the grace to go and address the person and the issue in a loving way, um, even if it doesn't go well, you've done the right thing. And that's the whole point, is that leaders tend to do the right thing all the time. Regardless when, of the outcome. Regardless yeah. of the outcome. And when they don't, they can admit that they didn't. Mm-hmm. Good leaders have a sense of humility that can admit when they're wrong, can actually apologize and can actually say, I'll try to do better. So the the idea of weakness or humility, oftentimes people think that is a soft leader. I don't want to follow that person. And actually, humility is probably one of the greatest strengths that I think other people look at and say, that's the type of person I want to follow. The person who just admitted they were wrong. The person who, um, you know, was willing to humbly say that they were sorry and would do better, right? Uh, That's the type of person. So uh, here are a couple of things that we can start doing to make our uh, help to make ourselves better as leaders as we move forward. So whatever area you're in at work or at home or whatever your role will be or is, is you're always going to be asked to to lead in some way, shape, or form. So, um, so, we're, we're all part of this. And I, I think the first step, and it's connected to the elephant in the room, more so on a personal level, is this, is to, to know ourselves and our identity. Mm. Great leaders are super um, 
comfortable in who they are. And they've gotten, they've arrived at that place through a difficult journey. Um, they've arrived at that place through a lot of self-discovery, through a lot of healing, through a lot of dealing with their own elephants in the room. And uh, the beauty of this is we draw it from Scripture when, you know, Jesus is going to get, to get baptized. And he's, he's getting a vision for his ministry and mission, and he, he's off into the desert, right? And uh, he's tempted, he's, he's, he's broken, uh, he's, he's kind of coming to this, I mean, really, like, the, the understanding of, of the fact that he's human, divine, like, there's this wrestling, you know, yet he says no to the temptations of the devil, and then he goes to the, the River Jordan to be baptized, right? And he goes to John. Now, first of all, you see the humility of Jesus, the Savior, going to another person to be baptized, like the humility to say to John, who John then says, you know, I, I'm, who am I? I can't even strap the, you know, the sandals on your feet, uh, you know, and Jesus says, no, like, you're, you're baptizing me, right? So Jesus goes to the River Jordan. He gets baptized, and it's really in that moment right there that, that Jesus, uh, that God speaks to his identity. So in that moment, Jesus, you know, he comes up from the water and says in Scripture that, you know, God says that, um, you know, you're my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased, right? My beloved son. It, it, Jesus began to understand his true identity more than anything, more than the fact that he was a miracle worker, more than the fact that he was a forgiver, more than the fact that he could do a lot of really cool things. Uh, his identity was he was son of God. Mm-hmm. That That's a game changer. And and that's, that's the first step for really uh, becoming who we're really called to be is understanding our true identity. When we don't understand our identity in God, that we're God's son and daughter, and we can rest in that and be comfortable in that, here's what we do. We get and find our identity in other things. And when we do that, we get reputations of like, well, that person is just after money. That person is just after power. That person has ill intentions. That person builds relationships with people because he wants something or she wants something from them. Mm. We, people begin to pick up on the fact that we're very uncomfortable in who we are. And so we seek our identity and other things. And, you know, um, you know, I, I see it all the time, like my own life, but in my interactions with other people, it's like, you know, your identity is not in that and it, that won't fulfill you. But there's this constant search to fulfill our identity if we don't get our identity in God. And it affects our ability to lead, obviously. I, I think what you're saying is very profound because if we, if we know we're a son or a daughter of God, that's true of all of us. Mm-hmm. But then there's a specific relationship I have as a son and a daughter to God that's only true of me. Mm-hmm. I need to be in touch with both of those things, right? Like I need to be in touch with the fact that I am part of the entire human family. And so... Everything, everything bad I think about myself, like, all right, sin is bad, and if I have sin in my life, yes, I need to be dealing with this, but God created me just as great of a son as everybody else. Yeah, there's no greater. Right? Like, there's... It, I'm not more of a son of there's God There's nothing wrong with me. I'm not, like, a defective human being. <laughs> right. Right? Like, I am just as great in dignity of, as John Paul II, Mother Teresa, um, all of them, right? Now, I have the ability to sin just like they did. But I'm the same human person. But then, specifically, God has given me certain strengths, even regardless of sin or, or right. 
I have certain strengths about me that others don't have, and I have certain weaknesses about me that others don't have, not even considering sin. So, for example, John Paul II had certain strengths that others didn't have and certain weaknesses that others had. And I find even in the, you know, in the corporate world and things, like strong leaders have a good sense of their strengths and their weaknesses. But I think Christian leaders, they see their strengths as given by God to be given away to others right? And their weaknesses as given by God to receive from others and to to journey with in this life, not in a cross way, but more in like a, a purgative way, but and to keep us humble, like St. Paul says. He says, you know, this thorn in the flesh, I begged God to take it from me, and he didn't. And he said, my grace is sufficient. So we find God in the strengths, but even more intimately and powerful in the weaknesses that he's allowed us to have, because then we depend on him the most, and in weaknesses and power. And so literally, a Christian leader, like Paul says, I can be all things to all people. A Christian leader, aware of their strengths, is ready to give those strengths away whenever, and relishes in their own weaknesses, yep. and is happy to admit them, and to, and is excited about them because God's going to do something in spite of my weaknesses. Yeah, absolutely. And you went right into the second point that, that I wanted to get to, which is great, is um, when someone knows their identity— that really establishes who I am, who, who the person is, is God's son and daughter. We can rest in that reality. Like Jesus could rest. I'm God's son. I'm going to be tempted. There's, this is going to be a tough journey, a tough life. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, obviously be crucified. Uh, like, like, but I know who I am. And, and mm-hmm. you, you check back on that when he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he, and he's sweating blood. His identity is what brought him to the cross. He knew without a doubt that he was God's son and God was going to take care of him. And so this has to be this has to be true in in us. We have to grab hold of that because if not we're going to seek our identity and other things. And this is what it leads into which we, you were bringing up is that the next great point of becoming the person the leader God wants us to be is to be comfortable in the gifts and uh, the strengths and the weaknesses that we have. Uh, God's given me specific strengths and weaknesses, uh, and you, and like so. But but together, like we're better together than we are apart, right? But here's what happens when we don't know our identity, and then we're not comfortable in our strengths and weaknesses. Here's here's what we do: we compare mm-hmm. and contrast to everyone and everything, and we constantly are competing and comparing. And and it and it's this it's this anxiousness to become something that I'm not basically mm-hmm. someone that I'm not. I'm going to use that person's gift, their strategy, yada yada. I'm going to ignore my weaknesses, and I'm just going to keep grasping and pushing through. And what ends up happening is that we we forget the whole point of leadership. The whole point of leadership is to use our gifts to empower other people to be the best that they can be. And here's what, you know, when I'm, I've had some intense conversations with people and I've had conversations that people have avoided that they've literally said to me, I don't want to share who I am or my idea or what I do because I'm afraid that, that they're going to take it from me, that uh, I'm not going to be able to keep doing what I'm doing. And that's what happens is we, um, we, uh, we hold on tight to our gifts instead of letting letting them out to share them with other people. Yeah. 
And that takes strong leadership in our life, and that's why we need to look for leaders to lead us, because leaders, good leaders, identify the gifts in others. You know, I, I'm thinking about the people that have led me well, and sometimes they've talked to me about my weaknesses, sometimes, but the really good leaders that I've known have identified my gifts and nurtured those right. and invited me to consider my own weaknesses. Yeah. Versus always pointing them out. Yeah, <laughs> and I think we could find this even in the context of leading in our marriages and our mm -hmm. relationships is that we become very healthy and good in leading our spouse, leading each other, because mm -hmm. we're co-leading yeah. one another and our family. And um, is when we begin to pull out the gifts in the other person and help them to like further those along. Right. Instead of pointing out the weaknesses and the shortcomings and obviously sometimes those are conflicts and elephants that we need to deal with, but sometimes they're personality traits. Yeah. And if your spouse has a personality trait, that's a weakness, here's what I would say, leave it alone. Mm -hmm. It's just part of who they are mm -hmm. and encourage their strengths. And what you're going to find is that you're going to start forgetting about their little weaknesses that bother you. And you're going to be so intrigued by what they bring to you and to the family that you're just going to forget about it. It's certainly different than an issue, you know, yeah. that needs to be dealt like with. Like, for so, example, if there's addiction in the family or right. something like that, yeah. hey, we need to deal with this. Right. But you're just talking about personal strengths and weaknesses, yeah. that your weaknesses, regardless of sin, um, agitate me or, you know, right. I just need to get over it. Right. And I think the more that we pour into people and their gifts, the better they become, the the less that we focus on their weaknesses. Mm -hmm. So you may be a boss or you may have coworkers and, you know, uh, I think you're right. And the lead, the good leaders that you've experienced in your life or I are people who have seen our gifts and encouraged them more than been intimidated by them. And here's mm -hmm. what ends up happening a lot in the workplace or even in, in friendship is that one person becomes intimidated by another person's gift, and so they end up talking about them, putting them down, cutting them down, um, giving them, you know, a demotion. Like all these, all these negative things start happening yeah. because the person is intimidated by the other person's gifts, mainly because they're not okay with theirs and their identity, and so that's it's connected. A good leader, a healthy leader wants to take your gifts and make you better than them. Yeah. Like, like a good leader is not intimidated by the other person getting the attention, being better than they are. That, that actually is a good trait of a leader for the leader to say, like, I want this person to be so good that, uh, that, uh, they're better than me. Mm-hmm. And we have very few leaders who do that. Yeah. You know, because we want the recognition, we want the credit, we want the promotion. But here's what ends up happening is that authentic leaders, uh, you know, authentic leaders always somehow end up being at the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, they, they always, you know, they, they build the right people who usually come back and give them the credit. Like, it, it, we often think we're going to miss out, or, or, but when we're authentic and true and good and pouring into people for the sake of, of the community and the world, like, like God blesses that and, and doesn't forget it. And so we're often, you know, afraid that we're going to miss out or lose out, and that's not the case. Well, and think about our 
first president, not to go all historical on us, but, you know, George Washington, the nation wanted him to be president prior to an election because of his leadership. Because, you know, fighting side by side with people. And he and didn't want the to. Way and, he didn't want to do it. No, but so in other words, like you have this reality of when leadership is recognized and appreciated, we want to follow these people. We would love to follow these people. I mean, for example, Paul. If somehow, some way, um, the Lord set it up to where you could work with Mother Teresa for like two months. Mm-hmm. Like just go work with her and learn from her how to be holy and how to minister to the poor. Like we would all jump at that chance. You know, like just to be led by a strong leader in the path that I want to go to. We would all love that, right? Um, and so if we're not... If that's not how we came to power, quote unquote, that's not how we came to be the boss or to have influence other other people, then we're going to be so insecure in our leadership that we keep drawing on our authority. We keep saying, well, I'm the boss, well, I'm in charge. But if we genuinely got there because we invested in people the whole time, we wanted other people to be better than ourselves, people saw this and they said, I'd like this person to lead. That's the kind of church leadership and family leadership and business leadership that we need to be as Christians, right? Yep. This is this is who Jesus was. I mean, yep. how how often did Jesus grasp power? Right. I mean, Saint Paul says he emptied himself right. and became a slave. And even Saint Paul said, "When I'm weak, I am strong." Like he was very aware of his weakness. He's coming to grips with the reality of of that. We are absent a lot in our church and in our world of of the humility of leaders, leaders who who actually don't want the power and the authority, who want to pour into people so that they, they can do great things in the world and good things in their life and family and and even not get the credit. So anyway, great conversation. Uh, we can take a break. We'll be right back. It's Paul and Adam. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your health care cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a health care sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund health care costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Paul and Adam here talking all things art of living. You doing okay over there? Oh, doing great. How are you? <laughs> you feeling empowered? I feel like I want to go lead somebody. I don't know who, but look out world. Yeah, here you I know, come. it's uh, obviously interesting. You know, we're having this conversation is that um, you and I have spent some time together. We're kind of from two different generations, you know, um, but we've done some work together. and It's been really cool to to recognize like how different we are and our gifts and you know how we serve and you know what we do but it's been really cool to recognize your gifts and what you bring uh and and how you do and and to encourage you in that because it's they're so different than than me and i think there was probably a time and season in my life where i'd be so jealous of that right and now i'm just so encouraged um by what other people have that I just, I, I want, I want people to, to really, 
I want to use the word explode in their gifts, like really just thrive in them, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because I have a lot of weakness. There's a lot of things I cannot do, you know, and uh, there's things I can get better at. There's things that come natural to me, just like you. There's some natural gifts. There's gifts and things that you can learn and grow in. But there's some things that you just, and you and I, uh, in our own personal gift sets, just aren't good at naturally. And probably, you know, I think one of the lies of leadership is to become good at everything. Right, right. And and Christianity, to think that I need to become like some superhuman. Right. I think the reality is, you know, I'm not going to be great at everything. But if I, if I could be around people who are good at things that I'm not, like it just makes me a better person because, uh, and it makes the community and the family and the church and the business better when we are all using our gifts um, to serve a purpose and a meaning. And that's one of the missions of the art of living, right, of, of your nonprofit, is yeah. that you, you actually meet with people to help them discover their gifts, um, deal with concrete situations in their life where they need to learn how to offer their gifts to others or um, compensate for their weaknesses, these kinds of things. And that's, that's very important. Yeah, do some one-on-one mentoring and coaching, uh, which has been so great, man, to really just see people kind of step into who they are because I think a lot of people are just kind of, they're unsure, you know, and uh, so that's been really cool. And then we're actually doing a, um, a lot of work with marriages and to see marriages kind of come to that place and people individually recognizing their gifts and each other and moving forward to really just start to thrive in their marriage, you know, because marriage is difficult. It's not easy. And then we're doing a, a married, one-day married conference March 23rd, 2019. In Lafayette. Yeah, so just you can look online on Facebook. Married Conference Lafayette or uh, Eventbrite or on Discover the Art of Living, you can hit Married. It's got That's all a well-named conference, by the way. Yeah. I know exactly what it's about. I wanted people to know exactly <laughs> what it's about. It's 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 called Married, <laughs> a, a one-day conference for married folks. It's going to be really cool. Uh, so yeah. anyway, but but uh, part of that is like really helping couples discover, you know, their own, you know, unique marriage and, and what, what, God is doing or where the struggles and where the thing and to move forward, you know, with it. Yeah, I think it's so necessary because in today's marriages, I don't know I don't know. I don't we just don't see the idea that okay, there's this other human being, other adult that I'm gonna now share life with. Probably one of the greatest energies of happiness in marriage is how can I in help invest in you and your gifts and strengths and what God is asking you to do and how do I make how do I help make you successful in that and have everything you need to be fulfilling the mission God has given you? Like that is like like that's the greatest source of energy, at least for me in my marriage, to move forward as a couple, to to have joy and meaning and purpose. But that's not really a thought in so many marriages is like, okay, so I'm supposed to be aware of the gifts of my spouse yeah. and be pouring into them. Like, what yeah. are you talking about? We're we're called to help our spouse become the best that they can be. And that's the beauty of it. And when we, when we get to that place, it becomes better. All right, so we're going to do a quick six-pack of questions. Question. All right, Paul, we began this show talking about elephants in the room. We did. And then we talked about leadership. Yep. Now we're going to tie it together, and that is how to lead in conflict resolution in a group, all right? So okay. it's like not just me and a spouse. It could be, but mainly like in a group of people, we've got an issue how to be a leader in dealing with it. So yep. question number one, mm-hmm. how do we actually identify the issue? Because sometimes our perspective is limited or yep. we think something's the main thing, it's not the main thing. Yep. How do we go about 
accurately discerning what the main issue is in a conflict? That's a great question. Uh, and I was going to lead with that is this is first identify the issue. And before you address the issue, identify it and see if the issue just has to do with you. Like it's bothering you, but it's really not an issue with anyone else. Okay. So what I'm saying is, does the issue kind of reveal something in me that I need to deal with that has nothing to do with the other people or the other Mm -hmm. person? Okay. And the way that I would deal with is like, this is going on, this is going on. I see an elephant, but is the elephant about me or is it about the group? And what I would do is find a very trusted person, you know, my spouse or spiritual director or whatever, and and to, to bounce it off of that person. Help me to see what's going on, right? Is this just about me? Is this drawing something in me? Or is this like an issue in the group that needs to be addressed? And a lot of times we see an issue and then we name it and people look at us like, what are you even talking about? <laughs> and then we go home and be like, oh, this is really about me. Mm-hmm. You know, so I would say do that homework first before you jump in uh, and just start slinging arrows. <laughs> well, question number two has to do with those arrows. So let's say we think we identified it and we talked to some other people. What do we need to do before we open our mouth or do anything? Like what's what's kind of the checklist of discernment maybe or the like the actual words or actions that would be helpful before we do anything? Like what do we need to consider in taking some kind of action in a conflict? So you identify the issue, the issues with, you know, there's an elephant in, in the office or in a conflict in the office or with a boss or with whatever uh, or in the home, and you identify the issue, the issue needs to be addressed. So what I would do is sit down and really clarify what the issue is. Mm-hmm. Take some time to pray about it and put some words to it. Uh, here's the issue. Here's what's happening. And so you don't go into a conversation kind of fumbling around like, ah, like you really just calmly address what it is and put words to it. Because what happens if you just jump into the conflict, and I think a lot of times we probably experience this more when there's like fighting, you know, and, you know, in a marriage, if we just jump into the conflict with no words mm-hmm. and, and not identifying the issue. And so we just start slinging words, you know, phrases, and then we end up what? Saying something that we regret. right? It gets more heated than what it should. The issue is bigger than what it really was. Instead of just keeping the issue, the issue and having words to address it. Sweet. All right. Question number three in, in approaching conflict resolution, what is the kind of goal? Obviously we want to have no conflict or we want to resolve this, but like, what is, what does it mean to be resolved? You see Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like what, what's the end of conflict resolution? What does resolved look like? So, what resolve doesn't look like will help us to understand the answer. What resolve doesn't look like is it doesn't look like uh, rehashing. So when something's not resolved, what ends up happening is we people or we constantly bring up, you know, bring it back up. We rehash. Oh, you remember when you used to do this or remember when you did that. So when someone's rehashing, that's an automatic flag for me to say there's there's no res- there's there's a lack of resolution in this mm-hmm. so for me is to go back to the conversation to bring resolve um and so how do you bring resolve the resolve is that both parties get to speak into the issue and if there's forgiveness or if there's whatever needs to be taught they can walk away in freedom and say it's over like we've dealt with we've dealt with the issue there's no need to rehash we can move on and uh everything's fine Awesome. All right, question number five. 
Is conflict resolution kind of, especially in a group, let's say coworkers or friends, like is it something that should be regular or is it more infrequent? In other words, like if, if I find myself always dealing with conflict, is there something wrong with that? Or is, in other words, like am I missing something or is that just healthy? Yeah, I think conflict becomes bigger than what, what it is oftentimes because we never deal with it. Mm. But when conflict's just a, a normal part of, of uh, life, then it, it's not that big of a deal. It's just part of you know dealing with this. My wife and I had an interesting experience with this is we were out to dinner with a couple friend of ours who are older than, a few years older than us, but we're good friends with them. And they, they've had you know some ups and downs in their marriage, but they've pushed through and they've really worked on it. So um, we're at dinner having a great time. And the, 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 the woman um, says something and then the guy made a sarcastic comment about what she said. And it was kind of funny, but it was kind of like not at the same time. Um, but it was just like, oh, okay. Well, like we're, we're all at the table. And immediately she said across the table with us there, uh, um, that really hurt my feelings. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> this is tense. Mm-hmm. And then he just immediately said, you know what? I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to say that. And it was like this um, really beautiful moment, actually. Mm -hmm. And then they just went on. Like, it was like, not like silence, like, oh, this is going to be an awkward dinner. It was just like back to like normal. And what they did is they just identified it immediately and dealt with it. And then it was over. Yeah. So even if that happens 20 times a day. It just became a normal part of their their life now because they've, they've had some real issues with conflict resolution. And yeah. to me, like my walk away from that was like, that was really freeing and beautiful. Like I need to learn to do that more in my life. So I think like we, we shouldn't be the ones that are always kind of point out like all these little things, but just to like, if there's issues, identify it, talk about it, move on. Yeah. All right. Question number six, let's say that I'm terrible at conflict resolution and it frightens me. Mm-hmm. What do I do to grow in this area? Like what would you recommend to become a better leader in resolving conflict with, within a group. So here's what I've learned is that because I'm, I was a long time avoider of conflict for, for various reasons, but here's what I've learned is that dealing with conflict is, is not a gift or a weakness. It's a learned behavior. Uh, so the more we practice it, the better we become at it. Okay. So, um, you know, I avoided conflict early on in my marriage mainly because I just didn't know how to, and I had no practice at it, right? So once started practicing and dealing with conflict, it's like, oh, this doesn't kill you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it doesn't identify you. Uh, and the, so the, the more that you get comfortable just having those types of conversations, the better. So what I would say is stop avoiding it and just start small in dealing with the small conflicts, the conversations, and then you'll get better at it, more comfortable with it, and then it won't be that big of a deal. Cool. Anyway, great show, man. Uh, hopefully, we'll become better people, better leaders. Lead me, Paul. Uh, today, you can find the the podcast on um, iTunes, Google Play, on the website, discovertheartofliving.com. You can find out all the things that we're doing there, uh, the married conference, um, the coaching, uh, speaking, all those things. Adam, thanks for all you're doing. And uh, praying for everyone out there to be more like Jesus. Paul and Adam, talking to Art of Living, back next week. God bless. God bless.